don't mind if I move that up? Is that okay? Good. Hey, it's great to see you folks. How are you? Good. It's great to be back at the Compass. It's been uh, about a year and a half. When I was here the last time, I spoke three weeks in a row, and each time there was a snowstorm as I drove out. And I thought, I am so happy that I'm coming in summertime when everything will be just smooth as can be. And then just as we were leaving our home in Chicago, the worst thunderstorm I have ever seen broke out. Several roads were closed. I could hardly get out of my neighborhood and to the highway. And I thought, I don't know what it is. Maybe because God wants to do great things at the compass, he wants to uh, keep me away. And uh, I, I'm looking for the blessing of being here. And so I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. But please, can you deal with the weather? Can someone please start praying? Because I will be back in two weeks. Uh, I also want to say I'm glad to be here with you, and also I want to say hello to the 95th Street campus, because I know you're listening in as well, and that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, I, get, I know what it's like to be speaking to people that I don't see, because I speak on the radio often, and uh, it's always, I'm always thinking, who's out there? I'm wondering about that. Well, when I first became a follower of Jesus, someone told me that there was going to be a huge revival in New York City. And if I wanted to be part of it, that God, and God wanted me part of it, but I needed something. And what this person told me was that I needed a special spiritual gift. If I didn't have this gift, God couldn't use me. And I thought, well, I don't know about that. So I talked to a friend of mine, kind of a wise older believer. He said, no, you don't need a gift. If you want to be used by God, what you need what you absolutely need is to go to Bible school. I'm like, I don't know. There are a lot of people who God used that never went to Bible school. Now, I ended up going to Bible school, but I wasn't sure that's what I needed to be used by God. So then I talked to another older follower of Jesus who could give me some wisdom. And what he said was, no, you need to go to the Bill Gothard Institute for Basic Youth Conflicts. And if you don't go to that, you can never be used by God. I thought... None of this sounds right. And I wonder if any one of us here is wondering, God, I would like for you to use me. What is the qualification? What characteristic do I need? Some of us may feel like, God, I really want to reach people who are still seeking you. How can you use me? Some of us might think, I would like to be able to teach God's word to kids or to adults. How can you use me? What qualification do I need? Some of us might need might want to be used to lead God's people in some way, whether it's a, a small group or some other capacity. God, what's the qualification for you to use me, for me to serve you? Some of us might feel like we would like to be an encourager and a comforter of people who are hurting. God, what do I need for you to use me? Well, I'd like to answer that question. And I don't have a full answer. There are probably many qualifications, many characteristics of someone that God will use. But I believe there's one essential qualification, and the answer to the question of who will God use is found in a very famous story of the Bible. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. Now, in my opinion, this is a story that is frequently misunderstood. The reason I think it's under, misunderstood is sometimes people misunderstand it as a children's story. 
this is no children's story. Now, I was going to speak on this subject. I was actually asked to speak on this uh, at another congregation a few years ago, and I decided, okay, I'll speak on that. And uh, as I was studying it, I was so convinced it's not a children's story. And then I got to the service where I was speaking, and they were so excited about having this story taught that they acted out David and the Giant Pickle from Veggie Tales. And it totally misses the point. It's not a children's story. Secondly, I believe many people misunderstand this because they treat it as an allegory. You know, how to face the giants in our life. What are the five smooth stones to knock down the giants in our lives? You know, the, the struggles that we have, the giants. It's not an allegory about dealing with the giants of our life. Really, it's about why God used David. Now, the, the story is found in First and Second Samuel, the story of David. And a lot of people know that these books are First and Second Samuel. But if I were to rename them, I would rename these books First and Second David. Because they're really all about David. The first part where Samuel gets called and then Saul is anointed. That's, Samuel is just called as a prophet so he can anoint kings. And then Saul is just a foil to contrast with David. The rest of the book is all about how David becomes king and his rise and his fall and his difficulties. And the core of the entire book is the promise to David that one day he would have a son who would have an eternal house, kingdom, and throne, the coming of the Messiah. So that's the book. It's the book of First and Second David. They won't let me rename the Bible books, but that's what I would do it if I could. Now... We know the story. Saul fails, right? And then God says, okay, I'm going to set aside his line. And Samuel is sent to Jesse's house to anoint the son. And he goes through all the sons. And God says, not this one, not this one, not this one. He says, is there anybody left? Well, there's one out in the field, the youngest one. Bring him in. He's the one that's anointed as king. Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart the text says. And so we know that. But we don't know what made David special. Until you turn the page and you come to chapter 17 and it's the story of David and Goliath. And here's why we find out why God chose David to be his king. The one who would have an eternal son who would reign on the throne. Now, if we're looking at the question, who is the person that God will use for his kingdom? I think the first idea that we need to identify is that God often uses people we wouldn't necessarily expect. So often, we're looking at that guy, this guy, this gal. But it's not the one that God would necessarily use. He doesn't always use the person we would necessarily ex expect. Now, turn in your Bible if you have it. How many have a Bible? How many don't have a Bible? It's good. It's a story. You can listen to a story. This is what it says. We'll pick it up in chapter 17, verse 1. The Philistine gathered their forces for war at Soko in Judah and camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. Now, I'd like for you to have a look at the, uh, the, the picture of, of these places. You can actually, oh, with the story of Dave, we're going to move ahead. And there we go. That's where they were meeting. Saul and the men of Israel gather and camp in the valley of Elah. That's right before you, right there. 
And then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. We can go to the next. You can see there. You can see where the creek is. You can see where the Soka in Judah is, where Saul's camp was, where the Philistines were uh, in Ephesdamim, and that is the Valley of Elah. And that's where they lined up to fight. You know, that is one of my favorite places in Israel. Do you know why? There's no booth. There's no entrance fee. You just go there, and you see it. There's no national park. And the passage opens before us. I can stand there and say, that's where that happened. That's where this happened. It's so cool. And sometimes you can even get down into the brook and pick up five smooth stones. And by the way, if you ever want to go to Israel with me, I'll be going again in March. Uh, And I'll be going with my buddy, Michael Van Lanningham, if you've ever heard of him. And so you might want to check out michaelrydelnick.org and click on Trips to Israel if you would like to see the Bible come alive everywhere we go. And by the way, the only time I really have ever met Jeff Griffin, that's your pastor, right? I saw this guy filming in Israel at Qumran. And I walked up there and I said, who's filming? They said, oh, you'll never know. He's just some pastor from the Chicago area. And I said, what's his name? He said, Jeff Griffin. I know him. He's called me on the phone once. And so (laughs) so it's kind of funny. Anyway, so here we are in chapter 17. I see my my reading plan has fallen out of my Bible. These are really cool. It's a Bible reading plan. You can check off what you've read. Keeps you on track. Uh, Here it is. They met. Verse 3. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill, and the ravine was between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. So this champion, the in-between guy, is literally what the Hebrew says. The one designated to speak for the enemy comes out. And he's nine foot nine. Well, actually, I don't think he was nine foot nine. The Hebrew, the Masoretic text, says six cubits and a span. But many other ancient manuscripts of the Bible, including both Hebrew and Greek, the Septuagint that was translated in the intertestamental period, actually, between the two testaments, uh, actually say four cubits in a span, which would be not nine foot nine, but six foot nine. You say, well, that doesn't seem like a giant. Have you ever stood next to LeBron? That does seem like a giant. And not only that, when you consider that the average person, we can tell by burial sites, was about five feet tall, the average man, six foot nine would have been massive. But it wouldn't have been inhuman. He wasn't some sort of superhuman being. He was just very large. Anyway, he comes out about the size of LeBron. And he wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. So he was not just tall. He was powerfully built. So he could carry this. There was bronze armor in his shins. And a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. And the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Here's the point he's trying to make. Look how strong he was. Look how powerful he was that he could carry this sort of weaponry and this kind of armor. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come up to line up in battle formation? He asked them, Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? If you can get the nuance of this, it is saying, aren't you the great servants of Saul? And I'm just a mere Philistine. That's what he's saying. Come on. He's taunting them. Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. 
If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we'll be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, now I want you to mark this. This is the key. I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now, what I mean about this story is that Saul, uh, Goliath's taunts really make them afraid, make them fearful. And God wants someone to respond to him, but God doesn't use the person we would expect. You see, God doesn't necessarily use the person in the position that we expect. It says when they asked Saul, asked for Saul to be their king, the people refused to listen when, when they wanted a king and Saul, Samuel said no. We must have a king, they said. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. That's 1 Samuel 8, verse 20. They expected their king to go fight. That was his position. They expected in this circumstance, Saul would be the one to go out and fight. Well, what was Saul doing? He was terrified. He didn't want to go out and fight Goliath. He had the right position, but he wasn't the one that was going to do it. God doesn't necessarily use the person in the position, the vocational pastor. He doesn't necessarily always use the person who's on staff at the church. He doesn't use the person necessarily because of their position. He uses people for a different reason. Secondly, God doesn't necessarily use appearance. It says in 1 Samuel 9, 2 of Saul that Saul was an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. Think about it. When everyone else was five feet tall, Saul was six feet tall. He was the closest in height to Goliath, and yet he wasn't the one that was used. You know, sometimes we look at people and say, wow, he's really handsome and tall. He has a lot of hair. That's the guy that God will use. Well, I'm so glad that it doesn't depend on how we look for God to use us. It's not necessarily appearance that makes God use us. God doesn't necessarily use gifting either. When you think about it, in 1 Samuel 10, 6, it says that the spirit of the Lord will control you, Saul. You will prophesy with them and you will be transformed into a different person. Listen, Paul, Saul was an, a spirit-empowered individual, but he didn't always yield to the spirit. And when he didn't, God didn't use him. And so it's not necessarily spiritual gifting as we would expect. And fourthly, it's not necessarily experience. When you see in 1 Samuel 11, Saul is the one who is an experienced warrior. He did a great job. He organized troops into three divisions. During the morning watch, they invaded the Ammonite camp and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. That's Saul. He was a great general, but he wasn't the one that God used. When we look at Saul, we think, yeah, he's the guy, just like we look at others and we think, well, that person has the right office, that position. That person has the right appearance. This person has the right gifting. And this person, well, She's really experienced. She's the one that God should use. And none of those things are what God necessarily uses. But what does he use? He uses a person like David. Now, I went 
to seminary with a guy who was tall, handsome, had lots of great hair. He really did. Even then I was losing mine. He had Southern Baptist evangelist hair, you know. <laughs> and he was so smart. He never got less than an A. Every grade less than just perfect. And in the preaching classes, he sounded like he had been preaching his whole life. He was so good. He was so true. He was perfect. Everything about him was ideal. So much so that the seminary I went to immediately put him on faculty so that he could teach others how to preach. And he was a preaching professor immediately after graduation. He did that for two years, said, nah, don't like this. Went ahead, left the seminary, went to law school, has never been involved in any kind of ministry again. Now, he won the seminary award. There's all these awards, Old Testament award, uh, theology award, all these different awards at graduation for the best theology thesis and the best uh, history thesis and the best New Testament thesis. But there was one award named after the founder of the seminary that was for the guy that most reflected what the school wanted to produce. He won that award. But within two years, he was out of ministry. Within two years. He was the one that we all picked out. That's the guy most likely to be used by God. He wasn't. He was just like Saul. So let's not assume that God will use the people we think he will use. God doesn't necessarily use the person we think he will use. So who is the person that God will use? This becomes clear in the rest of the story. It reals, reveals why God chose to have Samuel anoint David. Why was David anointed? Follow along. Beginning in verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephratite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Now Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war and their names were Eliab the firstborn, Abinadab the next, and Shammah the third, and David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep. So what's David doing? He's back home tending sheep. He's just a teenager. His brothers are meanwhile in the army. Now this is truly a volunteer army. It's not like today when you join the army, then you get everything. You get your clothing, you get your weapons. When you joined Saul's army, it was a volunteer. You had to bring your own weapons. You had to bring your own food. You had to bring everything for yourself. And so Jesse is concerned for his sons, and he sends his youngest, David, with food, and he brings them there, uh, brings David there. David got up early in the morning, left the flock, and loaded up and set out as Jesse had instructed him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. And the Israelite, Israelites and the Philistines are facing each other. And he left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. And while he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words. What he had been shouting every day now for 40 days. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. 
And so David spoke to the men and said, what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And then he says what's so crucial. He says, just who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Seems a little personal to me. (laughs) Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, the reason David talks about this personal issue is circumcision was the sign of the covenant. The people of Israel had a covenant with the true God, and the outward sign of that was circumcision. So here comes this pagan who has no covenant with God, and he's taunting not just the armies, but the armies of the living God. David recognizes that something is very wrong here. He recognized that this enemy is not just taunting the armies. He's taunting the God of Israel. So David gets an audience with the king. You can see that in verse 32. It says that David... uh, It says, uh, David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David says, no, I'm going to do it. And of course we know the story. He won't use the king's weapons or armor. Instead, he chooses five smooth stones. People always want to know, what were the five for since he only used one? I don't know. Perhaps he didn't know if he'd get him the first shot. Perhaps he knew that that Goliath had four other brothers. I don't know. But he chooses five. And then it says uh, that he goes and he meets with Goliath. And you could pick it up in verse 41. It says, uh, The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David's words of response show exactly why God chose him. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a dagger, spear, and sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him. See what David understands? It's not that he was defying the army. He was defying the Lord of armies. He was defying the Lord God of Israel. He recognized that. And so he goes on to say, uh, Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, cut your head off, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. Here's the reason God chose to use David. God will use people who care more about God's reputation than their own safety and security. God will use people who are more concerned with his honor and glory than preserving their own welfare and well-being. 
That's who God wants to use, the person who honors God above all. You say, I want to be the person that honors God above all, that cares more about God's reputation. I think this passage gives us four characteristics of people who honor God above all, who care more for God's reputation than their own safety and security. First of all, we are concerned with God's honor and reputation by taking risks to glorify God. You know, David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go fight this Philistine. Saul says, you can't do that. You're just a youth. What does David say? Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued it from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? For he has defied the armies of the living God. Really, David wasn't being wild and crazy. He had some experience. He had dealt with lions and bears. He thought, lions and bears, they're even more aggressive than this giant. You know, I can take care of him. So he was willing to take the risk to go fight this warrior because he already knew that God had been with him in other dangerous situations. Nevertheless, it was a risk. And he was willing to take the risk because he wanted to glorify God. I think that's the point to remember, that when, when we want to glorify God, when we honor him, when we want to make sure that we uh, preserve his reputation, we're willing to take a risk. There was a, a young woman in the first congregation that I planted who really wanted to be used by God, but she wasn't sure what. And then she said, I, I'd like to teach, but, you know, I've never taught before. And so... My wife was teaching kids at the time, had a regular class. We were going out of town. And uh, she said to her, listen, let me give you some instructions on how to put a lesson together. And when I'm going out of town, you teach the class for me one time. Nine-year-olds. There's nothing worse than teaching nine-year-olds. I'm sorry. Maybe 12-year-olds. I don't know. But it was scary. And uh, so the girl did it, went in there. We came back. We said, how was it? She says, I felt alive. I want to do this every week. And now, how many years is it? Every week she's been teaching. She's taught every age group from seniors to toddlers. Why? Because she was willing to take a risk. That frightful feeling that you have when if I do this, I might fall on my face. It might be bad. But God uses people who want to honor him if they're willing to take risks for him. Secondly, we demonstrate our concern for God's honor and reputation by acting in faith. This is what uh, David says in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Faith is often misunderstood today. Uh, it's often about how to get stuff from God. How do I get healthy? How do I get wealthy? How do I get stuff? It's not about that. Faith is trusting God enough to glorify him. And David had sufficient faith to glorify God in his actions. So not only do we take risks, we act in faith. We demonstrate our concern for God that way. When we take a step of faith and trust him. So risk, trust, 
Thirdly, we demonstrate our concern for God's honor and reputation by using our own gifts and skills to glorify him. Not someone else's. We always want to be like somebody else. Did you ever notice that? I want to be like somebody else, and then God can use me. No, God wants to use me as I am. That's the key. You know, Saul had his military clothes put on David, it says. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and put on his armor, and David strapped his sword on over the clothes and tried to walk, but he wasn't used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his pouch in the shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He decided, I can't do this in Saul's clothing. He was who God meant him to be, how God wired him up. You know, the very first time I ever answered Bible questions on the radio, I was subbing for someone named Don Cole. Did anyone ever listen to Don Cole? Some of you. He had been doing it for like 30 years. And he knew everything, and he was just wonderful and warm and fuzzy, and people loved him. And they said, this is how Don Cole does it. And they told me how to do it like Don Cole. And I tried to be just like Don Cole. It was the worst fiasco in radio history. It was terrible. About halfway through the show, I said, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. It was terrible. And it was years before they ever let me near the building that has the studio. They wouldn't even let me go near it. It was terrible because I can't be Don Cole. I can only be Michael Redelman. And God wants to use me as he wired me up. You say, I want to evangelize like, like Billy Graham. I want to serve like Mother Teresa. I want to show mercy like Johnny Erickson. I want to preach like Haddon Robinson. You've probably never heard of him, but he's the greatest preacher there ever was. No, no. God wants to use us as we are. Not like Don Cole, just like me may not be as good, but it is how God wants to use you. So God uses risk. God uses faith. God uses uh, us acting as we are made up. And we also demonstrate our concern for God's honor and reputation by giving God all the credit. David said, today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down. <laughs> he says, then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. David wanted to give God all the credit for the victory. He didn't want to take it on himself. I think that's what God wants to do with us. He wants us to give him all the credit. It's not false humility. It actually is just giving him the credit for when he uses us. Everything that we do. He is actually accomplished through us. When I was in college, uh, my roommate had a little bit of a complexion problem. That's how I could put it. And we were getting ready for bed one night. And he was there washing his face. Uh, now, meanwhile, across the street from Moody Bible Institute, where I went to school, there was, how should I call this, massage parlor, house of ill repute, right across the street from the school. They used to actually advertise in the Sun-Times, directly opposite Moody Bible Institute. <laughs> And apparently, I don't know why it happened this one night, maybe because there was a, a Brinks robbery going on. It was a distraction. No one really knows what happened. But someone put a bomb in that place, in that massage parlor. And they gave a call, and everyone fled out. 
and the bomb went off. Now, meanwhile, we're up on the ninth floor of a building about two blocks away, and my roommate is doing, I, I can't just explain it any other way. He was squeezing a zit on his face. And he pushes the zit, and the bomb goes off. <laughs> and the whole building shakes. And he looks at me and he says, wow, that was some zit. <laughs> so often, when we do something for God, we think, boy, I really did that. And it wasn't us at all. It was God working through us. And he deserves all the credit for it. That's what people who want to glorify and honor God do. They give God all the glory for whatever they do. Now, the point of this passage, why God chose David, is God chose David and why he will use us if we give him all the glory. If we are more concerned with his reputation and his honor than we are with our own safety and security. That's the point. Now, Remember this, David goes out, throws that stone, kills the giant, cuts off his head, and he gets a great deal of glory. But to whom did that glory belong? God alone. God will use the person and the people who want to preserve God's reputation and honor rather than their, their own safety and security. Well, I want to give you a takeaway here. I just want you to remember one word, stone. Okay? Here's the words from the word stone. It's an acrostic. Ready? First, stop comparing ourselves to others. Stop thinking it's the saws of this world that God will use. No, he doesn't necessarily use the tall, the good-looking, those with hair, the people with money or talent. He uses people who are devoted to him and care about his glory and honor. Stop comparing. Secondly, take advantage of every opportunity to honor the Lord. What was terrifying and debasing experience for Israel was an opportunity... For David, uh, he thought, wow, here's my chance. Take advantage of every opportunity. Thirdly, obey God's leading in life. David knew something that we know, but virtually no one else there knew, which was that he had already been anointed as king. He knew that God was leading him in this direction. God opens doors. He leads us to serve him. Seize those opportunities when God leads. Obey God's leading in life. Fourth, never listen to the naysayers. David's brothers thought he was just there to watch the battle, not to win it. And they mocked him. You can read that when you read 1 Samuel 17. David was there because God put him there to serve him. Never listen to the naysayers. There's always going to be people who say, you can't do that. With God's help, I can. With God's help, I can. And then lastly, uh, exalt the Lord for every success. In the end, it's the Lord who's working through us, and he has to get all the credit. You see, God will use those people who care more about God's reputation than their own safety and security. My poor son went to Moody Bible Institute, where my wife and I teach. We both are professors there. Poor kid, you know. Had both his parents there, and I was his major professor. One of the things that happens at Moody and other schools, students walk around and they don't like certain professors. Usually students like me, but there is one student that, I won't say what he did, but he got in some trouble and I was the one that exposed it. And uh, it was bad for him. 
And then there are other students who didn't know that this kid in the, in the lounge sitting there was my son. And so they were in there saying, back right down like, he's a jerk. We're going to start a boycott of his classes. And they're saying all these terrible things about me. And this kid stands up. He says, what do you know about this situation? You know nothing. You know nothing about this professor. You should just back right off. And he was just like really in their face. And they're like, well, what got that guy up? Well, it's his son. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's his son. Here's the thing. You know what? He loved me. And he was going to stand up, even at the risk of his own safety and security, to defend my honor and reputation. We're the children of the king. We need to stand up and risk all our safety and security to preserve his honor and reputation. Let's pray. Father, we confess we're afraid sometimes. We face challenges. Oh, but dear God, we want to be used by you. Please, Lord, we want to honor you and glorify you with everything we say and do. And so, God, we pray you would use us to do that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.